0: Tompkins.
1: I was good, my friends, my friends, my friends. How you doing, everybody? This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by nobody currently. These are the mixtape days, and man, what an episode we got for you today. Today is an all-timer, man, for many different reasons. One, I've got my buddy, Amit Patel, who's going to come on and share his life story Going from the son of first-generation immigrant parents and taking what they built, the career in hotels that they built, and carrying on that legacy, taking it to new heights, founding Thoroughbred Hospitality Group, and sharing all of the lessons about business and life and entrepreneurship and inspiration that he's taken with him and learned along the way, that he continues to build upon. You guys might not know this, but now you will. My guy Amit Patel is the guy that brought Crumble Cookies to Lexington. Him and his business partner, the co-founders of Thoroughbred Hospitality Group, now have, in addition to a handful of hotels that they manage and operate throughout Kentucky, and now with their first location opening up in Tennessee, they're continuing to experience growth. But not only that, they have made their foray into the food and beverage space with the opening of Crumble Cookies. So we've got a lot of great things to celebrate with meet. We're also doing a little bit of celebrating around here because this is the 100th episode special. And I am so sorry for the wait. The last couple weeks, we had some technical difficulties. We allude to it in this episode. I had a meet in the studio, and I had something go wrong with a piece of equipment, had to replace it, and that kind of put a damper on things because for the next two weeks, we went by without an episode, which has not happened since June 2020. But you know what has also happened since June 2020? 99 episodes of this show, and now culminating in this episode being the 100th episode special since June 2020 and allow me to reintroduce myself dropped. And not only that, but wait, there's more, there's more. I am proud to announce that as of today, iRideWithBinnyT.com is now live, it is launched, shout out to my girl Kristen Garland, the best web designer available. We now have a website, and I'm really, really excited about that because as we're celebrating Amit's growth on this episode and in his interview, we're also celebrating a lot of growth personally around here. Godfather Media is celebrating a lot of personal growth around here, right? And it's just, man, I, I just, I don't want to spend too much time on this because this Episode is really about a meet, just like all of these interviews are about people and their stories. Real people, real stories, real talk. You feel me? But this is a part of my story as well. And I'm just thankful to everybody that's played a part in being along for this ride and contributing to the growth of this show over the last couple years. It's wild to think that. Uh, I was sitting there during the pandemic like what the hell am I gonna do? and then I built my own studio and now here we are a hundred episodes later with this concept and it's going pretty well. It's going really well. I'm having a lot of fun and I'm having a lot of good guests and great connections, great storytellers, great entrepreneurs, business people. It's been a ride, man. It's been a hell of a ride to get here and all I can say is that if you're a brand new listener for the first time, welcome to the show, my friends. I hope that you continue to ride with me. Hashtag I ride with BDT. You feel me? Because this is only the beginning. These are humble beginnings, right? Trapping out the bando, a.k.a. the basement of my condo, right? But I can tell you this, my friends. I can tell you this. I said this in June 2020 when we first started doing the show this way. I said, I don't know where exactly this is going. I think I've got a feeling. I've got... Enough confidence in order to just take this leap of faith. And I've got enough market feedback telling me to lean into the interviews and the storytelling and just personal stuff, not any of the other stuff that once upon a time I used to do shows about, you know, sports. But I said then, and I'll say it again now, I don't know exactly where this is going, but I know it's headed somewhere. And I know if you come along with me, I promise you, it's going to be one hell of a story and one hell of a ride, so I hope that you guys will continue to ride with me. If you enjoy this episode, please, I would highly encourage you to check out a handful of the other episodes that we've done. Honestly, you should just go and check out any of the interviews that we are done, because they're all fucking slaps. If you like this interview and this episode and the topics that we're discussing, entrepreneurship, building businesses... I think you would really enjoy listening to Sarah Merrill on ditching the corporate world, faking it till you become it, and getting out of your own head. Sarah's a creator of Big Kid Problems. You may have seen that account floating around on social media. It's hilarious. You should definitely go and check that episode out. I think you would also like Shane Stewart on The New York Hustle, Making Career Moves and Lessons Learned Along the Way. Kristen Garland on solopreneurship, nurturing growth, and overcoming internal and external expectations, or Caleb Leach on entrepreneurship, living as an expat, and the power of representation. And just one more quick shout out, my girl Kristen Garland. I mentioned her once at the top. I'm going to mention her again and plug her business, cmgdigitalmedia.com. Highly encourage you to check it out if you're in the business of a business and you need a website for your business. I just worked with her, did a VIP design day, and now iRideWithBennyT.com is launched. We're going to have a lot of great content coming up for you this year. It's going to be an exciting year, man. I am so excited about this year, but enough about me, okay? Yeah, I'm excited about that. Congratulations, 100th episode special, websites launching. We got a lot of big things coming up, right? But... This episode is really about my buddy, Amit Patel. So let's jump back into the description of this one, because this is an all-timer, man. Amit Patel is an entrepreneur, a hustler, a hotelier, the guy that brought crumble cookies to Lexington, and he is the co-founder of Thoroughbred Hospitality Group. But more importantly, he's a brother to me. He is somebody whose work ethic I admire a lot. I mean, I think the world of this fucking guy. And he's also the very first person that I attended a music festival with, if you can believe that. So I have him to thank for jumpstarting this lifestyle. Look what it became, mama. Look what it became. It was me and him in London, and it was a hell of a time. And um, it's just like this was a full circle moment to get to do this episode with me because. When we went to that music festival, we had both been studying abroad. He was in Barcelona. I was in Dublin, Ireland. We both go into London, meet up for that music festival, and then we went our separate ways. But after we went our separate ways, here's what Amit did in the last six years since that time. He graduates from the University of Kentucky, and then he goes on to spend a stint at one of the top ten accounting firms in the country. But then he started to realize that his passions and his talents were weren't being utilized to their full potential, or at least how he saw his life going. As the son of first-generation immigrants who came to America and built their careers in the hotel business, Amit felt that he was uniquely positioned to not only continue building upon the foundation that his parents had laid for him and his sisters, but to carry on that legacy to new levels. In this episode, you will hear him share what that transition of power has been like between parent and child, from working in the business to working on the business, and moving from employer to employee. Hear how he's taken the humble roadside hotel that began as a gateway for him and so many others in his family to building THG's portfolio around the handfuls of hotels throughout Kentucky and now Tennessee that him and his business partner manage, as well as their foray into the food and beverage space with the launch of Lexington's Crumble Cookies location. Y'all ready for some bars? Here's a bar. We dive deep into that leap. Hey! We dive deep into that leap that he and his business partner made when they first started their business. We talk about what he's drawn inspiration from throughout that journey and how they weathered the storm during the COVID-19 pandemic. Man, when you're in the hospitality business and you're operating and owning and managing hotels and opening up food and beverage locations, I mean, dude... Those are like the two hardest things to try and weather throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. But yet, he did it, and he's still standing. So you're going to hear what he learned throughout that process, what he drew inspiration from, what he believes to be the most important attributes that any entrepreneur should have, and the one thing he encourages every single college student to do before they graduate. But before we dive into any of that, Amit teaches me about Desi weddings and the traditions and the pageantry involved in this rite of passage in the Indian culture, including how some of these customs are changing with every new generation. And finally, we wrap things up reminiscing on that fateful festival in London where we both met up and partied as expats abroad on July 4th weekend, 2015, with Drake, Avicii, Kendrick Lamar, Travis Scott, Major Lazer, and many more legends. Of course, the two of us were there, so it was a pretty legendary event, I'm just going to tell you, Okay. I cannot stress enough how life-changing that experience was for me, and to hear him share the magnitude of the impact that it also had on him, man, what a moment. If you vibe with this episode, please let us know by dropping a quick rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can do that now on Spotify. They've got that brand new rating feature. Why don't you use it, my Spotify people, please? Or you can help by sharing this episode with somebody that you know would dig this episode. Somebody that can relate to a meat story or that draws inspiration from hearing other entrepreneurs and business people getting it from the mud. You feel me? Just grinding, man. Laying the very first bricks of a business and what you do, how that process plays out, what you have to believe about yourself and about what you're doing in order to see it through and see it come to fruition and have these full circle moments. It's really, really cool. And I just, this is a really cool episode because I've never ever discussed immigration or what that's like passing a business off between parent and child and the trust that's involved in that. And also just carrying that torch of, hey, my parents came into this country and paved the way for me. And uh, now look where I'm headed. and Look what I'm doing with all of the things that they sacrificed in order to make this possible—like that—is in and of itself one of the most powerful things that you could ever, ever, ever have somebody come on the show and talk about. And the fact that he was willing to come on and trust me with that and share his story with me and share these life experiences, dude—it's—it's—it's it's, it's so fucking humbling. And I'm just—I um, love this guy, man. I love this fucking guy. So. If uh, you listen to this episode and you really vibe with it, then please share it with somebody and drop us a rating and a review, and be sure to check out the content that's going to be coming out on iRideWithBinnyT.com. Hey, all right. Without further ado, my friends, here is my friend, Amit Patel. All right, I am joined now by my good friend, Amit Patel. Amit, how's it going, buddy? Doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Third time's a charm, eh? <laughs> Let's <do> it, yeah. <laughs> so, we, uh, I'm so thankful that Amit has been so generous with his time because I had a little bit of technical difficulties, as they say in the business. And I had about 40 minutes of a great interview out of almost a two hour interview. That and was then long. the audio dropped out and sounded distorted. And I was like, panicking and I was like you know what it's okay it's okay we'll get you back in the studio we'll drop this to coincide with the 100th episode special the website's launching today some big things and I got a big guest booked up for the 100th episode special so it's good to have you back in the studio my absolutely friends. it's
2: it's now I feel like it's my home away from home now <laughs>
1: <laughs> well all right so we're going to um, get your life story man yeah let's do it
2: let's do it where did you grow up So, born in Bowling Green, Kentucky, but I'm a 606 boy to the heart, to the core. My earliest memories of childhood is in Somerset in Pulaski County. Grew up there, attended elementary, middle, high school, and actually moved back after college there for a short stint. And now I'm there almost every week because I've just got so much going on in Somerset that it really is my second home. Technically, it's my second home because I currently reside in Lexington. Um, I'm, I'm married now. I've got... Other obligations and other duties, but I'm I'm always in Somerset, and and that will forever be home. How many brothers and sisters do you have? Three older sisters. I'm the youngest of four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Go ahead and go ahead and give it to me.
1: <laughs> I bet uh, you were outnumbered growing up all the time. Then.
2: Yeah. Well. So it, it's kind of it's kind of odd because uh, there's a a good age gap between us. So growing up, I don't really have that many. Memories with uh, my oldest sister, per se, because she was probably in her teens and she was finishing up middle school and going into high school. So I didn't, and she was involved in extracurriculars and stuff like that. So growing up, and especially my short time in Bowling Green, I don't really remember much. And then when we moved to Somerset, I was only four and she was about to start college. So, like, I didn't see her at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. But the other two sisters, yeah, uh, my middle sister, from what people say, is she essentially just raised me to help out my parents. And my parents were always deep into work, you know, whether background is, you know, we grew up in the hotel industry, right? So they were always doing something with the hotel, whether it was them being short-staffed and and chipping in when they needed to, where they were cleaning rooms, working the desk, doing maintenance, you know, whatever the case was, they were there from 5 a.m. to 5, 6 p.m. So it's... It was essentially just me and, and my two older sisters for the longest time, and my si- older sisters helped a lot. They helped my parents a lot, and they helped raise me and to be the person I am today. A great person, <laughs> thank you. A great person. I, they did a great job. I like. I like to think so. Yeah, yeah. it was. It, I. I like to say it was a team effort. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So you grew up in the hotel, right? Literally, yes. So shout out Bowling Green, Kentucky, right off the thirty-one bypass. We grew up in a little hotel right across the street from Riley's Bakery for those uh, Western Kentucky folk. So yeah, I grew up in that little hotel and that was essentially the gateway for my parents' extended family to kind of be the one-stop shop when they first came into this country. Similar to people that did the same thing and extended the same courtesy to my parents when they first came to the country. So from what I hear, it was quite a bit of a packed house <laughs> uh, I, I one of my fondest memories was being packed into room 19 in the corner there it was a party really because it was just me and all my older cousins and granted they're all older than me so I was just you know kind of like a fly on the wall but it was just so cool to have everyone in one place you know it, and nowadays it's kind of hard to to get that you know everyone's so spread out and it has you know they're they all they're all busy with their own lives and their own careers and their own families but yeah. it's a nice little memory to take with us where are you guys from where's your family from? India. So, obviously, so fun fact: my my dad's from India, but uh, my mom is actually from Zambia, Africa. Oh, okay. Uh, she's she's still Indian. You know, it's just for life reasons. My grandfather ended up in Zambia, and I think he owned his own garage uh, or mechanic shop. And uh, so she grew up there, went to school there, and then they were pen pals essentially, and and got married when they came here and got married in Indianapolis, and. Moved over. Non-coincidentally. Non-coincidentally, yeah. Yeah. And then moved over to Chicago and spent a good amount of time there. Um, My my dad worked at a Zenith factory for a little bit, if you remember Zenith TVs. Yeah. And my mom was like a data entry specialist, which for the time, like she was getting paid a good amount just for being a, a data entry specialist, especially back then. But, uh, you know, with the help of some extended family, you know, they were able to purchase their first business, which ended up being a hotel in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Then they moved to Bowling Green, helped helped get that hotel established and and started, you know, operating it and learning the business in and out and then spent 20 years there. And then when I turned four, we moved to Somerset, Kentucky, and my dad built his first franchised hotel. And now we're 20 plus years there and counting with, with a few more hotels under our belt. Why hotels? What made them want to purchase the one in Bowling Green? You know, that's that's a very good question. I so it was it's a business that you can also live in. So imagine imagine living in a building and also being able to make a living out of it, to, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, so yeah. so they would have their living quarters either upstairs or behind the behind the office. So they were able to live day to day life but also run a business, save cost, all in one go, right? Like they can run the desk, be able to babysit and rent rooms all at the same time because it's just efficient. So it was just, it was honestly—it's the ultimate way to save money quick. And they got some cheap labor from you guys, right? You helped <laughs> out as little kids. Too, I, right? I don't, Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't think we're cheap because yeah, I mean, you know, we, I'm sure we were all expensive in our own way, but it was definitely a family effort. You know, especially in the Bowling Green Bowling Green days, you know, my sisters definitely stepped up and and I'm sure they helped out my parents. And then you know. Moving to Somerset when you know my sisters were all going to college and you know they weren't able to come home as much you know it was definitely me sitting at the desk. I remember still to this day I was you know maybe thirteen fourteen years old working the front desk, and uh, people would call to make a reservation, and they'd be like uh, oh thanks ma'am uh, you know because like my voice you know hadn't dropped yet or my balls <laughs> haven't dropped yet so so I still remember to this day like that's just how it was you know it's just you take care of the business and the business will take care of you. How did your parents meet by the way? So they were a traditional arranged marriage somewhat. I, it's essentially the way it goes is, you know, it's like ex person. And I, I don't know the specifics, but someone on my mom's side reached out to someone on my dad's side and was like, hey, I've got a really smart girl here who's looking. And then the other guy was just like, oh, I've got a really young stud over here. And then they essentially became pen pals because, again, like I said, my dad was in India my mom was in Zambia obviously back then there was no technology whatsoever so pen pals and from there they kind of first met in uh, i want to say either in india or in indianapolis either one and kind of agreed and it was history since and now they have they're, now they're retired have four kids and two grandkids so and wow. a, and, a, and a daughter-in-law so it's uh i guess it worked out yeah <laughs> how different is it for you to think about
1: that, because you just recently got married, right. And what what is it like to think about just a generation removed from an arranged
2: marriage? Well, I think my parents' generation really relied on their parents and their their aunts and uncles to really know what's best for them, because ultimately they know that they wouldn't be put in a position by said parents or aunts and uncles to be put in a position where they wouldn't like it or you know they wouldn't grow to love their their significant other and that's the ultimate trust if you ask me you know if if you're putting your parents in charge to find you your significant other that's that's a big task you know mm-hmm. whereas this generation we have a lot more opportunities that you know my parents didn't like you know obviously we went to college you know we went to other extracurricular programs we have the opportunity to meet more people that's similar to us you know we travel. We go to people's houses, go to other people's parties, other people's weddings and stuff like that. So we have a lot more opportunity to meet people like us without having our parents introduce people to us. And then just not
1: speaking on behalf of all Indian people, but just people in your family, did you see that, I guess, um, maybe break away from tradition in the sense that you and your cousins and maybe your sisters or whoever people around your age Mm -hmm. and in your friend group are thinking more independently
2: absolutely so i mean i i think the trend that's going now is obviously the goal is to find someone that you you love on your own like you know that that's that's the goal you know that's the american dream (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah but uh (laughs) But, I mean, and, and, and it's starting to shift that way pretty quickly. But, you know, a good hybrid is, you know, our parents will be like, hey, I just got a call from so-and-so from wherever. And they have either a niece, uh, a nephew, or whatever the case is. And then now it's like, let me give you their numbers. And then if you guys talk, you all figure it out from there. So it's really nowadays the hybrid model is just like they'll, they'll make the a brief introduction or give you their information. And then it's up to said son or said daughter and you know whatever the case is so it's it's definitely transitioning over to to be more independent but I mean it's it's pretty cool to see that the old traditions isn't completely dying out if the new model doesn't work
1: and then maybe they
2: meet and then yeah I mean several they hit months it off. later yeah. we get a desi wedding right Exa- yeah that's right yeah <laughs> yeah man desi wedding's good uh <laughs> good on you for for using that that's a it's a hell of a time man Tell me about that. So, what was your wedding like? Man, so my wedding, starting out, it's like a his events and a her events. So, my events were obviously in Somerset, shout out 606. And her events, she's from Nashville, so her events were in Nashville. So, each side has two events, essentially. Both of my events had a lot of my families, you know, members of the local community, so on and so forth and then we meet together to do the third event and ultimately the celebration which is the reception Mm. and going from somerset to nashville after my two his events quote unquote um, are finished is like a big booze cruise (laughs) like we, we had two charter buses just filled one with like all all of my family members and the not so much partiers and then one filled with like the get buck partiers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was a good four hour ride. We, we told the bus driver, don't drive too fast. You know, we want to take our time, come in there sure. and just enjoy the ride. And it, I mean, it was, it was an awesome time. And then once we got there, we showed face to her side of the family at some event. And then the actual wedding was great it's a early morning ceremony and then the reception is also another party and then we all go home at the end of the weekend so it's it's a long affair I mean I know I just kind of skimmed through it and I, and I didn't do it justice but I mean we started our events essentially Wednesday all of our family was coming in Tuesday or Wednesday everyone was coming in and then our events and then it goes all the way up until Sunday
1: so it's not just like all right, we're going to do the bachelor party this month and that, then yeah. their events, and this month it's a start-to-finish like marathon.
2: It's a start-to-finish marathon, and then obviously the bachelor party is something that we do, like something that I do with my, my close friends and stuff, and we we did that like a few months prior. So we, we went ahead and got that out of the way, recovered or tried to, and then just recover enough to just screw it all up again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where did you do your bachelor party? We went to Denver. Denver, Colorado. And it was a complete... Um, it was different because, like you know, I didn't. I've never been to Denver, and I didn't know what to expect. And and you know, I I just trusted my friends to just take care of me and and show me a good time, and and they did.
0: Nice, yeah.
2: Drake would be proud. One yeah. of my favorite Drake songs ever. Show Absolutely. me a good time. Like, yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> so, when you are planning
2: this wedding, mm-hmm. how many people are on the guest list? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay, so the backstory on this is we were originally supposed to be married in 2020. Mm. Uh, I think, that, I mean, the dates were end of March. And if you look back in the record books, end of March 2020 is like right when COVID became full force. And we, we essentially just called it off and postponed it until 2021, the week before Derby. But... The first go around before COVID interrupted everything. Oh man, I think between my side and her side, we had close to fifteen to sixteen hundred people.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, oh it's excessive. God.
2: I don't even know that many people, man.
1: <laughs> Sixteen—that's like a small community college. That
2: yeah, that's like a big high school.
1: I mean, that's that, like yeah. a shit ton of people. Yeah
2: yeah and at that point it's all politics you know it's it's like it's politics between her parents and the people that they should invite or the people they want to invite and the people that invited them to their weddings and it's like just reciprocating the the favor right and it's all politics at that point because you 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 know you want to extend the invitation um, but you secretly hope they don't come but the fact that you sent the invitation just gives them a way to come and just freeload (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh open but yeah. bar Did yeah that, serve an
1: open bar for 1600 people uh, Yeah,
2: yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah i don't even want to know what that was like <laughs> i mean just bring a costco truck and tell them to just open up the back uh, yeah uh, honestly it's it's bad but i mean the second go around when we actually had the wedding after after covid kind of calmed down a bit we had close to 450 people which is still a lot that's still a big wedding um and and it's still you know if it, if it was up to jess and i we would probably still want it smaller we would probably just want, like, our, our immediate family members, our closest friends, and that's it. <laughs> but, but you know, I get it. Like, I, I understand the politics of it all. And, and, you know, yes, it is our wedding, but it's also a big thing in, in our culture for our parents. Well, it's a rite of passage, right? Right. That's exactly right. And how is it
1: different in the sense of just even um, like the dresses are different right it's not like your white wedding dress that you see white chicks wearing it's right.
2: it's more traditional yeah. dresses from India yeah right? that's exactly so we we took a trip to India just to shop for our wedding whoa uh, yeah so it was my family her family we were both kind of there around the same time so I would just go shopping with them because I would much it's easier for me to pick my outfit than it is for her sure so Essentially, once she got all of her outfits lined out, we kind of want to be somewhat matching and, and make sure that we don't like clash in colors and so on and so forth. So once we had the exact colors that she was wearing, it was a little bit easier for then me to go pick out my outfits. But yeah, I mean, everything from the jewelry to the outfits, all of that stuff came from India and it was kind of rough because like, you know, again, we had a year gap between when we planned the wedding or like when we wanted to have the wedding versus when we actually had the wedding. So it's like your boy had to make sure that I wasn't like losing grip of myself and I would still be able to fit, you know, in my outfit. And same with her. Yeah. You know, uh, the first six months we we're like, yeah, screw it. We're just going to binge eat and just cope with postponing it mainly for her like me i'm just like you know it it, it is what it is it happens yeah. um COVID happens <laughs> yeah um so she was like yeah i'll just start the diet when i'm close to the wedding or something like that so but yeah uh it ended up, it ended up working pretty well and you know we finally got our uh, photos and, and our video back uh not too long ago and i think she's starting to post them up on her facebook now
1: yeah which is where i've seen a couple of pictures from that event and yeah. I just know how big of a deal it is. Yeah, it's a movie. To say yes to the dress. Yeah. But then, you know, to think about traveling to India to go and pick that out. That's just
2: got to be, be such yeah. a I'll be I'll be honest with you man. Indian what desi weddings are excessive. They're too excessive. I like the way you all do it where it's like 30 minutes I do I do immediate reception afterwards and be done in like 4 hours. Mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, that is we envy you guys (laughs) believe me because i mean you hear these horror stories of like people going all out because it's such an important thing that they dig themselves in a big hole that they hopefully can come out of but sometimes they may not you know like i don't know it's like who like who do you have to impress nobody like don't it's just it's just a backwards way of thinking like there's no reason for you to put on all this extravagant show for what for a bunch of pictures and a video like i mean come on now
1: and just so people understand how much money we're talking about oh god this kind of a hole we're talking ten thousand dollars no i wish (laughs) (laughs) yeah give us an idea of like because when you say so so so
2: here's here's the thing so traditional custom the bride essentially the bride's family pays for the actual wedding and the reception and then the his and her events are just again his 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 events are paid by his family or him right mm, mm-hmm. and her events are paid by her or her family and that's the kind of way we operated we tried to make it a little bit more even by like you know letting us help chip in for the wedding and 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 her dad is just a, a just straight up classy guy and he was he was not having it he was like no you're in my city you're in my town it's like it's it's i'm the host like you all just shut up drink and let's have a good time I'm the captain now. yeah he's like yeah I'm the captain now yeah that's exactly right and dude man, he showed us a hell of a time him and his family even even his buddies that in the local community we pulled up to the wedding venue they pulled out a card of shooters of just uh, just straight crown and anything you can imagine just to help prepare for for my wedding day and it was it was just a different kind of love but it was all love <laughs>
1: And so when this event finally is getting built out, yeah, that kind of a number. So it's more than ten thousand. We understand, and I'm not even just asking like how much yours costs, but just in general. I mean, we know weddings cost a lot, but if, right. if you think about, I'm gonna have a wedding, and it might put me in crippling debt that I might not ever climb out of. That's gotta be what are we? Are fifty thousand? Hundred thousand?
2: I will just say this: that if Desi weddings shift to like. Half of what it should be, or like if if we just take away half of the excessiveness and half of the numbers of the people invited, and if the parents were in a position or generous enough to be able to push that forward to the new couple, they could probably put a, a pretty hefty down payment on a house. Wow, that will set them up for life. And I'm starting to see that, I'm starting to hear about that where people have weddings, and it's like, you know, let's just think logically here instead of paying an absurd amount on this amazing event. Let's think about our kids. Like, let's think about your daughter and my son and their lives together and let's maybe cut this show down and maybe put the rest towards advancing their life together,
1: you know? Yeah. And at what point does that tradition start to break? Because it's a generational yeah. thing, right? I mean,
2: you- I mean. so I think the most important thing of, of just upholding the tradition is the events themselves as long as you still have the events, I think everyone's happy. Where it gets crazy is just the sheer number of people or like the excessive decorations and stuff like that. You know, that's that's when it starts to add up. The more people you have, the more people you have to feed, the more people you have to house, the more people you have to give them something to do after the, you know, in their downtime. Make sure they're well, uh, what's, what's the good word I'm looking for? Well uh, boozed up. <laughs> <laughs> Lubricated, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lit. <laughs> but, uh, lit. yeah, lit, but twas lit, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I mean, all that adds up, man. And then you got photographers, videographers, uh, you've got decorators, wedding planners, if you have them. It uh, it adds up. Who planned your wedding? So I was very fortunate enough. My wife is. I tell her all the time that she should become a wedding planner because she likes doing it, first off, which is really important. But two, she's super organized to where she has everything in spreadsheets and just easily accessible. And if you need something like she knows, she she understands every little bit, every process of of the wedding. You go up to a random brown girl and she probably couldn't even tell you what's going on at the wedding. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she understands the traditional meaning behind all like everything, um, and she can anticipate what's going to happen next so she can prepare for it. I mean, it was—don't get me wrong—she put in a lot of work to it, but she made it look too easy. <laughs> um, and essentially, when it came time to delay it, it was all just copy paste, like just change the dates and we're done. Yeah, yeah, I mean, spreadsheets. Yeah, right. I mean, that's yeah, and maybe cut some people out. Yeah, a thousand or so. Well, for you,
1: you're looking at this event as that rite of passage, right? And so yeah. when it finally happens, what's that like to finally meet that moment that gets hyped up for all your life? And then to finally be there and looking in the eyes of Jess, what yeah. was that like?
2: It was pretty neat. I mean, it, it was a long time coming because like, you know, again, we were waiting a good amount of time just through the planning and then we had to postpone it due to COVID. So it was it was good to finally see all of it come to fruition, and like i said the wedding yes it's to celebrate Jess and i but at the same time we were just so happy to be able to spend it with our fam- like our, our friends our family people that we don't get to see often so it was just nice to see everybody in one place given the circumstances and given covid and all of that stuff and you know everyone has their own life but the fact that they took the time to take uh take a week or so out of their busy schedules to come help us celebrate it just meant a lot. So we, we, we were ecstatic to get married, don't get me wrong, but I think we were even more happier to spend it with everyone.
1: So you're building this life yeah. with your wife now. So let's jump back into getting into going from growing up in the hotel industry. Let's loop this back in. Yeah. Okay. And then you end up going to the University of Kentucky. Yes, sir. Which is where we meet. Yes, sir. Fraternity brothers forever. Yes, sir. And then... We end up linking up in London, which we'll circle back to that as well, yep. but you study abroad and then after school and after graduation, take me through what you did after you graduated and walked and becoming the entrepreneur that is sitting across the table from me today.
2: So I graduate December of 2015, it started the following January at Crow, back then it was called Crow Horwath. Um, now it's just called Crow. It's a top 10 accounting firm in the nation. And I had a few other offers. I, I think I had an offer from Fifth Third, uh, another regional firm here in Louisville. But I really wanted to stay in Lexington. And so the Crow offer was for Lexington. And so I stayed. The work itself was, was fine. It was, you know, it, it was a lot of traveling, which I enjoyed, you know, I a lot of company money was spent on, on nice meals. And a a lot of beers and yeah, sure. You know, if they're paying for it, I'll I'll do dessert too, you know? (laughs) Um, but you know, that caught up to me and I, I essentially gained 20 pounds in like six months and it was just bad. You know, I was sitting in front of a computer screen for 14 hours a day doing what, playing around on spreadsheets and creating formulas and stuff like that so i enjoyed the traveling aspect i enjoyed going and having different clients across the country and i enjoyed working with the people i worked with but at the same time it's like i don't think i was putting my talents to good use to not only better the company but not and but better myself right so i worked there for eight nine months or so whatever it was and made the jump back to small business which uh hospitality so hotel business Something I grew up in, something I always anticipated going back to at some point. I just never thought it would happen so quickly, uh, especially coming out of college. But I did because there was this notion that you could always go from corporate to small business, but you, it's kind of hard to go from small business back to corporate, right? Mm-hmm. So, with that in, in the back of my mind, you know, when I made that jump, I was like, okay, well, this is it. I got to put everything into what I'm going to do because there's no way I can go back and get an accounting job without an absurd amount of effort, right? So I moved back to Somerset from Lexington, helped take over the reins from my parents and and, and their hotels in Somerset. Was able to semi-retire then. They were still pretty active because, you know, I was still doing a lot of different things. You know, we were undergoing a few renovations. um, You know, it was just that point in time for the hotel to upgrade everything inside. So that was a great learning experience. I pretty much learned what not to do. Mm. (laughs) Finished one renovation up, started another. Once that you know wrapped up i'm like okay well what's next so then i made the plunge into developing ground up hotels and so you know one turned into two two is going to turn into three so here we are now and then COVID kind of hit somewhere in between there which kind of rained on our parade a little bit we had so much momentum going going through everything And then COVID came and just kind of put a damper on everything, which, you know, we got through, you know, we we were still left standing. You know, I can't, I can't say that for, you know, some other people, but we took it with a grain of salt. We, I mean, we definitely took it on the chin, but at the same time we pivoted a little bit, um, went into the food and beverage space. And, you know, here we are with, we've got food and beverage outlets. We've got hotels. We've, we're starting, uh. Starting to get that momentum again. We're starting to get my get my groove back, baby. Hey. Yeah.
1: If Stella can get it back, so can you. Yes, sir. So what at what point did you found Thoroughbred Hospitality Group?
2: Yeah, so I founded THG back in twenty eighteen. It was like ten o'clock at night and I got a phone call from a good friend of mine and I was thinking about it for the longest time and then he just must have probably was thinking about it also and called me and was like, Hey, like let's, let's just screw everything up. Like let's, let's be a big disruptor in our industry. And he's like, there's so many people that are doing it the wrong way. Let's show them the right way. And he just gave me the nudge and the motivation to file the paperwork, create the logo. I went all in since that night and haven't, I mean, just haven't looked back. So technically that's how it was founded. But since then we've grown from, you know, apart from me, We've got a director of operations who i think the world of he's a man of many talents we've got a wonderful director of sales and revenue she she's i call her superwoman she does everything under Mm -hmm. the sun and we're going our food and beverage aspect we've got a great talented individual that's actually moving up to join our team and relocating to lexington to help us run our food and beverage outlets so we've got a few things in the works you know nothing that's concrete yet a lot of momentum is going our way and and we're ecstatic to see where we end up by the end of this year.
1: Good. Me too. And credit to you for being able to weather that storm. COVID shut a lot of small businesses down and it seems like for the most part to remain generally unscathed or just, Mm -hmm. just to stay alive through all of that. I got to imagine as a business owner, that's just like like, what the fuck? What did yeah. I do to deserve this? You well, know? I mean,
2: it, it's definitely a team effort because, I mean, we had, I had general managers at each of our hotels that messaged me individually. They were like, hey, I know times are tough right now. If you need me to take a pay cut, let me know. Like, I am open to doing that. I'm with you pretty much here going through this. And if this gets us to see the other side of it, then let's do it. And them being able to come to me and, and tell me that they're willing to take a pay cut to help get me and my family through this crazy time. That just meant so much. But I told them absolutely not. I was like, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down not owing anybody anything. I'm going to make sure you're paid. Luckily, we didn't have to furlough anybody. And don't get me wrong, like the PPP loans definitely helped. That definitely helped. The pent-up demand from where everyone was staying at home and going stir crazy, I'm sure. So the moment came circa summer, right? People just got out and started traveling Regardless of what you know, everyone was saying. You know, people were saying outdoor activities are safe, so people did a lot of outdoor activities. And you know, if you know Somerset, you know, like Cumberland's a huge attraction, and it business picked up almost overnight. And it's a beautiful thing to see. Pent up demand is still there, and we're here to capitalize off of it and hope put us in a better position than what we were in before COVID. Here in
1: probably two of the categories that got hit the hardest <clears throat> besides yeah. travel, it's. Travel and hospitality in the hotels. and they're... Yeah, so
2: essentially government and CDC, whoever the case is, essentially said, you know, stay home, don't travel. But yet hotels were considered essential. We were considered an essential business. So we were left open. Bill still kept coming in, but no one was coming through our door, right? Hmm. So it's like we were kind of left out high and dry. And so luckily we had a, a lot of good advocacy efforts that pleaded on our behalf to capitol hill and to the lawmakers and stuff like that to dc and you know they were able to get the ppp loan structured in a way where it helps hotels a little bit and so many other things and and so yeah i mean it sucked like we took it on the chin but i mean we made it and and there's only one way but up right sure
1: what goes through your head in those weeks and those months where bills are coming in but guests aren't what do you tell yourself
2: You tell yourself that everything's going to be okay, right? You hope that it's all temporary and it's only a few months and, you know, it'll pass. But luckily for us, we're a pre-existing ownership group that has a proven track record of 20 plus years, thanks to my parents, right? Mm -hmm. So we've built such great relationships, not only with our financial partners, but our vendors and so on and so forth. They understand, you know, at the end of the day, man, we're all people, Like I understand the rule revolves around dollars and cents and IOUs and you need to pay me this in order to get this and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, in the thick of it all, everyone understood that we were all people doing the best that we can given the circumstances. And that held true through the thick of it. And so they were like, you know what, pay what you can, we'll get you on the flip side. It meant a lot. It really did.
1: Do you read anything? Do you watch anything? What do you take inspiration from that keeps you going?
2: I observe a lot. I look at people that do what I do, but do it better. I surround myself with people that make me better (laughs) because at the end of the day, my thing is I want to be the best person that I could be. I want THC to be the best company that it could be. And I think it stems from learning. Never stop learning. I never want to be complacent or content. Like I always want to be outside of my comfort zone. Cause then at that point through that lens, everything's so much more interesting and I'm paying attention more and I'm putting my full effort into it and growing, right? And growing. That's yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So it's, it's observing, learning. It's a combination of it all.
1: You learn from your business partner as well, right? You guys have a really close relationship. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. That's, that's my guy, man. He's like your brother to me, smart guy, Graduated from one of the top law schools in the country and doesn't even want to become a lawyer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Funny story is we were opening up Crumble, actually, in Lexington. And at the same time, he was studying for his bar exam. And it was like eight hours dedicated to Crumble and then eight hours dedicated to the bar exam, studying and prepping. And shortly after my wedding, we skipped on the honeymoon and we went straight into opening up Crumble. And the morning shifts were on me and the evening shifts were on him. And we operated that way because one, I had a whole nother side of the business that I needed to attend to in the hotels. You know, it wasn't just all about crumble. Mm-hmm. So that gave me time that night to kind of catch up. And two, his mornings were freed up so he can study for the bar exam. And then at night he would kind of go to the store and do what he needed to do as like a break. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it worked out for a whole month. He killed his bar exam. I'm sure he made like He's a borderline genius, so (laughs) I'm sure he killed it and um, got a great job down in Atlanta because of it. But, I mean, we're still hungry and we're still growing. We still have that urge. We still have that itch to grow, and we're doing just that. So tell me about
1: Crumble Cookies because you talked about transitioning or not even transitioning but maybe just opening up your (laughs) portfolio and the things that you guys are doing, the ventures into food and beverage.
2: So hospitality is a big umbrella, right? Under hospitality, you have hotels, you have restaurants, you have – Anything that makes people feel better is the way I think about it, right? (laughs) Um, It's It's a great way. It's it's a people business, right? It's people making other people happy, you know? Yeah. And we're like, let's expand our horizons a little bit. Let's not think just hotels. Let's think what is something that's lacking here in Lexington that could be a a great fit, that could be well-received, and that could be something to deal with for the next X amount of years something that has legs, right? Something that has longevity. And we thought it was Crumble. Two years prior to that, actually a year prior to that, we had first tried Crumble in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And my business partner has traveled the world. He's consulted in London, England, New York City. And so, I mean, he's... He's well-traveled and (laughs) well-fed, right? Sure. So, and he's got the biggest sweet tooth, and how he doesn't have type 2 diabetes is beyond me. (laughs) But when he says a dessert is good, you've got to listen to him, right? Like, Mm -hmm. that's his forte is, is sweets and desserts. So when he said that Crumble is one of, if not the best, cookies he's had, to me, it's like, I mean, it's a great cookie. Is it the best I had? Probably. But it's like when he says it, it holds a lot more weight. Sure. So a few months pass. And I find out they franchise. So I find out they franchise. I bring it back up to him. And he was like, you know what? Let's do it. Because him and I were always having conversations about, you know, should I go back and get my MBA and further my education and, and stuff like that? And he was like, you know what? Unless you go to like a top five, top 10 business school to get your MBA, it's kind of worthless. And I agree. And so we came up with a philosophy. It's like, why not put the money that you would have spent towards an MBA into a new business Learn the ins and outs of it. And like, that's your MBA. And he was like, if you fail, you learn what not to do in starting up a business. And if you succeed, then you have a living, breathing, profitable business. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, that's genius. I'm like, well, why not? And at the end of the day, like, yes, I understand all, all of this is risky. But at the time, I was only like 26, 27. I was like, you know, if I fail miserably now, I've got some time to recoup and take the punches as they come and be able to bounce back when I'm. 32 34 35 whatever the case is. Yeah. I have time on my side, God willing, right? Yeah. Knock, on, knock on wood. But but yeah, I mean that's the way I took it, that's the way we looked at it and we jumped in, did our hardcore due diligence on Crumble and pinpointed an exact area of when where we thought was the best first location for Crumble and haven't looked back since. Nice. Yeah, man. You've got two locations now? <laughs> we've got one open and we've got two more in the works. Exciting. I mean, you're growing. That's a growing business. It is. And I mean, it's so much fun. As weird as it is to say, being in the store, listening to like loud music and just rolling cookie dough, (laughs) and it doesn't feel like work. And given today's problems, and especially in labor shortages and stuff like that, where everyone's constantly complaining about how there's no one that's willing to work, Mm -hmm. we don't see that. Knock on wood again, but we don't see that because of the fact that I think the brand itself has done a hell of a job marketing themselves as being very vibrant, being very loving, being very in tune with the new workforce. So think of your 16 to 21 year olds. You look on TikTok, they have over 3 million followers. I get job applications from TikTok. I didn't even know that was possible. (laughs) TikTok's a game changer. I'm telling you, man.
1: Going through the last couple years, now more than ever, people need a reason to feel good, right? You guys have been able to provide for that. And I think it's just cool that a lot of people sell a lot of different things. A lot of people work in businesses. But do you think that the reason that you have so much fun rolling up that cookie dough is because you know how much of a quality impression or how much of a moment that it's going to brighten somebody's day
2: it's going to provide when they take that first bite of that crumble cookie i'm glad you actually asked that question because in its mission statement says its mission is to bring family and friends together over the world's best box of cookies Damn. so given the time period that we were in thick of covid opening up the summer of 2021 people needed a reason to have joy to be happy and bringing crumble to lexington where there wasn't one before, I think was perfect timing, perfect product, perfect placement. It was just all perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I mean, for lack of better words, it was just like a God wink, right? Yeah. So tell me about the concept of crumble. And, sure.
1: And shame on you for coming to the studio twice and not bringing any of these cookies with you. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, so I thought about that yesterday. So we actually had to close early because of the snow. And when I drove past it on my way to dinner, they had already closed up shop. And even today, uh, I didn't even think about it. But good thing is, I know the owner that's close to this location right here. So I might be able to pull a few strings. Oh, yeah. oh the plug. Yes, sir. The plug right here. Yeah.
1: And if not, I'm definitely going to have to get into
2: the Lexington location. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Support local. Of eat- course. Um. So, yeah, the, the concept itself is, is amazing, right? So six cookies are on the menu every week. Four of the six normally is is on a rotating menu. So this week we've got an oatmeal cookie with Rolo chocolate melted on top of it. We've got uh, like a strawberry lemonade cookie, which is amazing. There's so many different flavors. And then the two that remain on the menu all like most of the time is chocolate chip, which is like award winning, by the way. Mm. And the frosted sugar cookie, right? We also sell ice cream. And even our ice cream is on a rotating menu quarterly. Really? Yeah. So cookies are weekly. Ice cream is quarterly. And we have over, man, probably upwards of 150 different flavors now. So if you see a flavor that you like any given week, you need to probably go get that because it's everything is made fresh. It's not like some of our other competitors where we scoop up frozen dough that comes off the truck and plop it, put it in the oven. Mm. Everything is made from scratch. We've got little hustlers in there starting at 5 a.m., baking up a storm and they go all the way until 10 p.m. on the weekdays and midnight on the weekends. Closed on Sundays. Nice. Gives us time to rest. Yeah. And prepare for the next week. What have been some of your favorite flavors? Oh, hands down my top two flavors is the Kentucky butter. It's actually our it's it's actually the founder of the company's favorite cookie. So imagine like a vanilla cake cookie topped with melted butter and
0: powdered
2: sugar so you get the vanilla you get the sweet you got the the salty from the butter and it's just chewy in the middle oh man i'm imagining what it tastes like but i'm sure it's
1: not even close to what this
2: oh man it it is amazing i think i don't know hopefully it comes back soon but my other top flavor is the churro Mm. the churro cookie is out of this world what have been some of the most obscure flavors Honestly, when the Kentucky butter first came out, I'm like, what the hell is this? It smells like theater popcorn butter. (laughs) And I'm like, there's no way that people are going to buy this. And Kentucky butter was one of the first cookies we sold when we first opened. And so, don't get me wrong, the store smelled up like melted butter, but (laughs) we tried it because we were like, you know, we can't sell this to people if we don't know what we're selling, right? Sure. We tried it and it was just life changing. (laughs) <laughs> it was it was great so does corporate provide all of those recipes for you guys Yes. it so the thing about crumble if you've ever been inside of a crumble it's very tech driven so we have close to 20 ipads in, in the store a handful of those are used to check out like to place an order and to pay some of those ipads are display our boxing system or ticketing system Uh, Some of those iPads are used for our recipe books, (laughs) you know, Yeah. and then some of them are used for training and some of them are used for like the managers to use. So, I mean, like it's very tech driven and it's all wireless and it's awesome. I love it. The store itself is just very white with some pops of black, gray and pink. Super clean, super open, super airy. You see the cookies essentially being made in front of you. The open kitchen concept is just amazing. It sounds
1: like it because I watch a lot of, I don't know if you watch any of these shows like Marcus Lemonis does The Prophet, and you see these people come on Shark Tank. That's one of the things that they talk about is, can I be comfortable in this space? It sounds like what you're describing is that open kitchen. People want to see that. People want to know how their food's being Being made and prepared. Absolutely, Yeah. yeah.
2: So, I mean, really in like a standard 1,400 foot store, only about 150 square feet or so maybe a little bit more, maybe 200 square feet or so is only for consumer use. The rest of it is all back of house. It's all the kitchen storage and stuff like that. And that's, a majority of that's open for them to see. The clarity of what's being done is just, there's, there's, no, there's nothing else like that, Yeah. you know? Yeah. I think it builds trust too. That's exactly right. Accountability, transparency. People are literally seeing what they're paying for. Yeah. Tell me about some of the processes
1: that you put into place when you're opening this business. What's one of the first things that you and your business partner are doing when you're thinking about laying these very first initial bricks
2: of this business? Yeah. So the biggest thing for us was we believed in the product like we knew the product was good. It's just a matter of how do we showcase the product and get other people to see what we see. And so marketing was a big thing for us. So from day one, we, we were like scratching off ideas or thinking of ideas of what we could do to help market the store or market the brand. Because think about it, like this is a new brand coming to Lexington that no one's ever heard of. The location in Louisville just opened up a month prior to us. So it's still a relatively new thing for all, the whole state, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so... The first thing we did was we got a hold of all, all of the food influencers in Lexington. So we had like people like Marcus Lee, the, the old UK basketball player, Todd Lantern. Um, a lot of the Lex food Instagram accounts, all, all of those influencers come in on our opening day or at least our opening week. And, and we just told them here, we'll give you cookies and review them and post it on your page, put it on your story and, and just spread the word, you know, spread the love. and. It was a hit, man. Uh, the first three months was just all everyone was all in. Like it, it was just from open to close, it was just super busy. And it, I mean, it was great. It was a great thing to see that we were so well received in Lexington, and that even people in neighboring counties would drive just to try our cookies because they would see us on TikTok, they would see us see our Facebook ads, they would see other people posting about it. You know, it's it's all that's the main reason why Instagram was great is to post pictures of food. Right. Sure. Um, That was one of the founders. Like first things was like, I made this dinner. Let me post it and show everybody. That was one of the main reasons Instagram was created. (laughs) And so we just went back to the basics and was like, you know, this is, this product is very Instagrammable. You know, think about all the cookies nicely laid out in the box, the pink box, the iconic pink box that people know and love Um, the simplicity of the logo. Everything about it is just, simple but just really well done and really well received and credit to you too for spotting
1: that those influencer marketing campaigns right some people spend way too much money on it some people if they do it right they don't have to spend any money at all right
2: so i mean yeah obviously there's some money spent but we just wanted to make sure that whatever money we spent there was at least a positive roi on sure like we yeah. weren't blindly spending money you know one thing that you'll know about not only me, but my business partner or just THG in general is that if you give me a dollar, I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna give you a dollar fifty back. That's just how we operate. So we're very mindful of what we do, how we spend money, what corners can we cut to save money. My mom always told me it's not about the dollar you make, it's about the dollar you save. Right? Mm. Money can come, but money can go just as easy. Shout out to Mama Patel for That's that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, that's, you know, we just want to make sure what to do right for the business.
1: And you open it in the midst of COVID, not directly
2: during the lockdown. May, May 18th was our friends and family day. We were open for three hours and May 19th was our first day open to the public. And so, you know, opening day, we were, you know, we were all in the store, you know, we we were learning as we kind of went. We had the trainers there. We didn't know what to expect, but I mean, crowds just surrounded us, especially that weekend, man. People were driving up from nearby counties, you know, Georgetown, Richmond, just to see what the new buzz was about. And um, one thing that took us by surprise is the amount of local attention that we got. So think about all the back pages on Facebook and heck, even news. <laughs> we we were on like three different news news channels and and, and news programs throughout uh, throughout our opening couple months. Publications, you know, we were on the Hamburg Journal cover. Hey, uh, hey yeah. Hey. <laughs> my my fifteen minutes of fame <laughs> came on <laughs> came on came in the form of uh news news segments and Hamburg Journal magazine covers. But um, uh, it I mean it, it was just such a blessing to be well received um from the local neighborhood from the local community and, and just lexington as a whole because um, i mean when you open any kind of business from the ground up especially one that no one's heard of like it's it's kind of scary to think about you know yeah and so we were just very fortunate to be a part of a, a great community yeah some people they never ever take that risk they would
1: so yep, much never. rather
2: just be employee absolutely
1: rather than the person starting well, the business and taking at all least risk. at least
2: at least that pay is guaranteed Right, Whether you're 9 to 5 or your shift is 7 to 3, whatever the case is, you're guaranteed a paycheck every two weeks. Yeah. Versus when you're an owner, there's going to be times where you're not getting paid for months on end or you'll have to put money into the business in hopes to get it back plus more down the road. I mean, that's part of it. That's the ups and downs of owning a business. And you said something earlier that
1: was really interesting, which I totally agree with, is that some people, they get the MBA. Yeah. But MBAs, it, so it used to be when our parents were growing up, you had to get a college degree. Mm-hmm. Well, then it became ubiquitous. Everybody could get a college degree. Right. And then it became an MBA. And now, in the last like five or 10 years, it feels like there's a bunch of people that have MBAs. Mm-hmm. And what you said was that you would rather go out and get that MBA in life or in starting a business and actually taking those risks and learning and growing. And I agree. That's what I did when I went to California. I lived there for three years in the Bay area working in sales. Right. That was the greatest MBA that I could have ever. And I didn't have to pay for it or no. take out student you got loans paid for it. it. Yeah. Got, and so I, I just, I have so much respect and admiration for a fellow entrepreneurs that go that route. Right. And that's exactly what you did. So, you know, well, my dog.
2: It, uh, well, I appreciate that. And, uh, one thing that a mutual friend of ours, said to me, I think it was coming out of college or it might have been right when we were about to graduate, Colby Hall, uh, just an, an amazing, smart, all-around freaking gentleman. Stand-up guy. <clears throat> super stand-up guy. He said one of the realest things that anyone's ever said to me. He was like, tell me, what did you learn throughout your college career that if I bought you a laptop with some internet that you couldn't have learned on your own? And I'm like, you know what? You're right, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot. Uh, I mean, yeah. a lot that you can learn on your own, yeah. and, and and I think anybody that just just something simple as a working laptop and an internet subscription, you have endless amounts of knowledge at your fingertips. Well, even now,
1: being out of school as you're running and operating your business, I'm sure you're still learning. And like you yeah. said, not only in the people that you surround yourself with, but also the things that you consume, the information that you oh, consume. Ab- I'm sure you're on absolutely. there reading and.
2: Yeah, I've learned more real life things that's more applicable to running a business, to growing a business in my short two and a half, three year span than I did ever did in college. It's amazing. I mean, that, that's why I say, you know, be a sponge. Ask the questions. There's no such thing as a dumb question. Be curious. Learn. You have to. Yeah.
1: So let's bring this back to your parents. Yeah. When you think about where you're at now... And how much of a role that your parents played in your life, Mm -hmm. watching them grind and watching them instill that work ethic in you. How much do you think about in your own life when you're closing down the shop late or you're hustling in all the different ways that you do and you think about watching your parents do that when you're four years old and 13 years old? Mm -hmm. How much of that do you think about and does it dawn on you that you are carrying on that legacy?
2: It's a great feeling. Because the thing with not only my parents, but probably most immigrant parents is that, you know, they all worked hard in the business, right? They all grinded and, and just to try to make ends meet to put their kids through school and college and, you know, get them a, a functioning car uh, and so on and so forth. But they put all of their savings and life's work into their kids. And I'm talking about my parents. You know, they they were able to put four kids through college, which... That in itself is a tremendous accomplishment. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. They were able to put a roof over their kids' heads, make sure that they were fed, regardless of if they were living in their own roof or if they were off in college and had like a little apartment or or a dorm or whatever the case was. They were all taken care of. And so that for them was their 401K, right? You know, most most people nowadays put money aside, put it in a 401k, in hopes that one day it'd be enough to live in retirement, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, My parents didn't have the luxury of doing that, and so the money that they saved essentially was spent on their kids to make sure they had an education, to make sure that they had everything they needed in hopes that one day that they'll be well taken care of. And I'm hoping that this is just the start. And, And I tell my parents all the time that they worked relentlessly in the business doing the day-to-day functions of the hotel and I'm going to work relentless on the business. It's like, okay, you've already built a great hotel. Well, how do I grow this and scale this? And that was a big thing that they had trouble grasping. It's like, how are you going to do all this if you're not working the desk from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m.? Or if you're not going to go get breakfast supplies at 5 in the morning, Like, how are you saving money? And so changing that mentality of You know, instead of babysitting and micromanaging, how do we implement operational efficiencies into these hotels and scale it from there? Mm -hmm. And I get where they were coming from. They're in this business 40 years. And they're just turning over the keys to their son who graduated college and did a nine month stint in accounting. So it's like, what does this guy really know? <laughs> you know? Sure. It's like, who's a, the, who's a the effing new guy here, you know? <laughs> and like I said, it, it was their blood, sweat and tears in, into handing over the keys. And so I got it. Like I get it. You know, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. Don't get me wrong. It was frustrating at times. Uh, you know, we had some very creative discussions at some points. And so it was just, um, when they finally let, let off and allowed me to, you know, do work, and do what I do best, and they saw the changes that I was making, they saw what I was doing, then they started to believe in the vision, and and so here we
1: are. That's such an interesting parallel, thinking about that transition of power and thinking about traditional or old school ways of thinking about things when you go from being the employee to then, it's almost like they came here and established a life, put four kids through college, we're operating a business and living the American dream, right? Quote, yeah, unquote, absolutely. the American dream. And then that torch is then passed on from that generation to you. And it's like that in any any industry, right? It's like I have so much respect for the OGs that paved my way to get here. Right. But everything that you did only got you as far as you went. And you can only understand things from like your experience but i have these fresh ideas Mm -hmm. i'm seeing a different playing field than you pass this on i'm ready to carry this torch forward and that's really what you've done yeah put the team on my back
0: hey (laughs) hey!
1: (laughs) but seriously though because you are going about and approaching this business and and i don't know i don't know if it's you know i don't know how much of this could be said for just immigrants or You could even think about it in terms of like blue collar American working people, too, where it's like people are going from working in a factory job to then owning and operating their own. So I I don't want to overgeneralize any part of that at all, but I'm just, I wonder how much of that holds true for other people where you've got generations of Americans now who are going from being an employee to being the employer
2: right that's exactly right i mean it's it's just one of those things where it's just i don't want to say showing them the light but maybe showing them the new light is is kind of what it's going to have to take to show because like that generation it's like you can talk about all all you know all they want Uh, you can talk about something but until they see the results they won't believe it right sure and you're smiling because I think you know exactly what I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about. That's it's fucking facts, bro. Yeah, so <laughs> so talk. it's like they won't. Again, it's it's all it all comes down to what what you said before and how risky do you want to be? Like how risk averse are you? And so that generation is a little bit more conservative than we are.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, probably rightfully so because you know they're. I'm playing with house money, but in their you know in their eyes it's the, it's their, you know it's their bread and butter. It's their baby, and if. We don't want to play too much with it because then what happens if it doesn't work? Those were the building blocks of what we're we're doing now, and so luckily it's worked. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. And and they they've seen they've seen the results, and and I hope they've seen the results, and uh, they've trusting me with it, and they've kind of let go and let it be. I'm thinking about that J Cole lyric where he's like, "Kick back and watch the
1: sunset." That's it. Yeah. 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 How do you get your parents to trust you? That's a big thing to hand over that business. What was that transition like?
2: I don't think it was an issue of trust. I think it was like more so of an issue in regards to what's the results going to be like? What are the consequences of what you're doing? And so on and so forth. Like, are you going to put us as our family business in a better position than when we handed you the keys. And so I think that was the biggest thing because again, at the end of the day, it's a family business, right? It's not just for my parents. It's for my parents. It's for my sisters. It's for my family. It's for my sister's family. You know, it's, it's for, it's for all of us, right? And it's what we all worked in when we were kids. It's all got a special place in all of our hearts at the end of the day, but it also has to be able to provide for not just one, but all of us. And so I think that was the biggest thing is, they started to see some expenses go up and they started to see a few things go up and stuff like that. They're like, well, we need results. You know, again, they're the part of that generation that wants to see it, then they'll believe it, right? Sure, sure. And so I'm like, just give it time, just give it time. And so they eventually, you know, expenses started going up a little bit, but then they also saw the revenues going up a little bit and then it kind of went hand in hand and then COVID hit. And so that wasn't a fun. but we got through it. I got through it, turned it around and uh, we're scaling it, baby, We're we're growing
1: just opened up your first
2: location outside of the state of Kentucky, right? So yeah. So we, we actually acquired the management rights for a hotel outside of the state of Kentucky. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we're 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 in Rocky Top, baby. We're we're in Knoxville, Tennessee now. Woo. Uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still still go big blue, but you know, hey, if uh if if someone needs my help down in Rocky Top, I'm not gonna turn them away. Money's green, right? It's not even about the money, man. It's 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 <laughs> about helping Helping people, you know, because a lot of times people get caught up in the, you know, with, with management companies that do them dirty or, or that don't really have the the owner's best interests in mind. And, and that's something that we really take pride in is that, you know, at the end of the day, we're hotel owners as well. So no matter if we own something 100% or if we own 5% or if we own 0%, we're going to treat it as if it's one of ours, right? Yeah. So whatever my interest and your interests as a fellow hotel owner are going to be aligned. And a lot of the, especially today, that is, that's lost, especially with these bigger management companies and so on and so forth. It's just, it's non-existent. Why is that? Greed. Mm. Greed. Tale oldest time. Yep.
1: You said something really interesting too, that we had talked about it in one of our previous conversations that I also want to get back to is, mm-hmm. uh, this hotel in Kentucky serving as the gateway to a lot of you and your family, right? That's right. Yeah, which is just really, really a cool thing to think about.
2: So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the whole notion started. So when my parents first came to this country, they were in Chicago. And so they had some extended family members to kind of show them the ropes. And so when they got their first hotel in Bowling Green, they just paid it forward and helped their immediate family members when they came in, be like, Oh, this is a hotel, this is how you run it, this is the day to day operations. You know, feel free to stay here until you can you know save enough to get up on your feet and stuff like that. So yeah, that essentially became a gateway and like a stopping place for a lot of new people, extended family members coming into this country. Which is cool because it's like through
1: the lens of immigration, right? When we think about the people that first founded America, quote right. unquote, right? Yeah. What a crock of shit. They came through these passageways of like Roanoke or the places in New England and all that kind of stuff. But then you think about how many other hotels in whatever capacity they look like for other families and other generations Mm -hmm. of people that came to this country that was the springboard for dozens of people, hundreds of
2: people. I mean, it's it's just a really cool thing. It's crazy because like that's how a majority of people started and then now... And this is facts. You can look this up. One of every two hotels is owned by an Indian American. Really? Yes.
1: And you think that's directly because of the way that your
2: family came in, and just that I mean, yeah, was multiplied. Everybody. Not 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 just not just me, but yeah. I mean, just the fact that you could live and make a living in, in in the same place, coming to this country with nothing, that just seems like a no brainer, right? Yeah like think about all these in independent hotels that you see along the sides of highways and interstates, Country Motor Inn, you know, whatever, the Highway 27 Inn, all these independents. It's a stepping stone for a lot of these people, you know, yeah. in hopes to get to a better place or at least put them in a position to where, even if they don't like the business, at least they're being able to pay for their roof over their heads without really paying for it, right? Sure. So even if they don't like the business, they can take the money that they've saved and earned and apply it to something else, you know, apply it to their kids' education, apply it to their own education, switch businesses, you know, whatever the case is. But it just made sense. Like any
1: good entrepreneur, yeah. to eliminate your costs in yeah. creative ways is, yeah. is like... El-
2: yeah, I mean, even if you only make $50,000 a year, but if you don't have any of your living expenses, that's more going straight down to your bottom line and staying in your account. Facts. So, like I said,
1: it just made sense. What do you think some of the most important factors or attributes that an entrepreneur can have? Because we kind of just touched on like resourcefulness there, mm-hmm. you know, eliminating your costs. What are some of the other traits that you value in entrepreneurs that you would use to describe yourself that you're proud of? What do you think makes a great entrepreneur?
2: One thing a good entrepreneur should be able to do is be able to put their business first. That's something that my family always did. And I'll tell you a little story. I was graduating kindergarten. Everyone graduates kindergarten no matter what. But um, I specifically remember this because at the end of the graduation, all the parents that attended checked their kid out early because it was like the last day of school. And my dumbass was still left there. <laughs> 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 um, my, my, uh, here I am just hanging out in the classroom, just me, nobody, and Miss What's Her Face, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just remember being super salty going back home riding the bus I'm like you know I was like mad at my parents but now like growing up and I never brought it up to them because it's like I knew they were busy I knew they were working in the business and so growing up I just clicked that you know they put their business first because it helped provide for their family and provide the needs of their family and put everybody through school like I I got it like I just clicked and so going back to starting a new business or being an entrepreneur don't get me wrong you want to have a personal life you want to have happy wife happy life you know you want to appease the masses at the same time, but you cannot be afraid to be in the trenches, working the long hours, doing whatever it takes to just make the ends meet just so you can see another day or another month, scrapping up enough funds to make that mortgage payment or make that loan payment, whatever the case is, just so you can live to see another month in hopes that there's greener grass on the other side or there's brighter days ahead. And if you're not willing to do whatever it takes, then your business is already done for from day one. Yeah. You can have a a successful business, but if crap hits the fan, like you've got to be willing to jump in and making sure that it can withstand the storm, so to speak. I gotta imagine the little baby, Amit was like, "You were
1: there for me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crying, <laughs> banging my head against the wall." Yeah. yeah, yeah. But from that early age, you understood that things need to get done. Like business doesn't run if my parents, in that case, or, yeah. or if you, at the end of the day, now. If it's not getting done,
2: like it's falling on me to get it done, right? Well, I mean, not even that, but like understanding that some businesses might be cyclical. Like in a span of 10 years, you know, you'll have three fantastic years. You'll have two years of a recession to where you're not making any money. Maybe you're paying your expenses, but you're not profiting, right? Yeah. And so on and so forth. Like there's so many other circumstances that can come forward that, again, it's a longevity thing. And it's just understanding that concept in combination with, the whole aspect of how much time you put in versus what you get out of it. And, and just kind of painting the overall picture was just a long process for me to understand because my mindset was like, well, why weren't you there at my kindergarten graduation? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause as a kid, you don't understand that. You don't. Yeah. And growing up and it's not like, my parents told me like oh this is why XYZ cuz I never asked and I'm sure they would be so awkward to like not even be able to explain it right <laughs> Um so it's just, it was just one of those things where I just kind of figured it out as I grew up and it's like like I said I get it and I painted the overall picture and and it just it's crystal clear now it just makes sense All right I want to also just kind of like wrap things up
1: here we've covered a lot of ground it's yeah. been awesome we bounced around a lot which we sure is did. like
2: Yeah hopefully hopefully those listening were able to
1: follow along of course <laughs> I mean, my listeners they they know that my adhd brain just like <laughs> bounces around hey, that, so that probably makes two of us <laughs> yeah it keeps them on their toes you yeah. know it keeps them on their toes that's you, right you don't want to miss any part of any episode that ever comes out because you never know what's coming next yeah. hey i mean that that's what makes it
2: real talk yeah that, my man
1: all right but I want to get back into thinking about where your business is headed in the future Mm -hmm. and tying that in a music festival. So, you are a hospitality group, you specialize in people and experiences. I know you love music festivals. We went to, my very first music festival ever was with you in London. Yes, sir. And I'm wondering if you've ever thought about how you could get into any kind of an entertainment or maybe even like putting on a small music festival, just inviting people to come and play. Mm -hmm. And has your brain ever
2: started to move in that direction? No. (laughs) (laughs) However, going back to my business partner, who's like I said, like my brother, He DJ'd quite a bit in college, and he was he even interned for I think Epic Records out in California. Oh, cool! So he's he's got the music background like no other, right? So he's done shows with Post Malone, Lil Jon, all these guys, and even like some popular South Asian artists that you know the brown community would know. He's done all these shows, so if anyone could do it, it's him, hundred percent. Yeah. And if he calls me one day and was like, look, let's do this. This is what we could do out of it. I probably would do it because at the end of the day I've kind of adapted myself, but I really ultimately learned from him and even his father. I think he learned it from his father was business is just a byproduct of relationships in the sense of relationships should have a higher priority over money and, and business, if that makes sense. Yeah. So he was like, and, and this, it's kind of like an, understood thing where if we get into business together and it hits the fan we're still going to be tight at the end of the day you know yeah cuz we can both come to the table and be like well where did we mess up how do we fix this going forward and what's next right yeah and we're both level headed in that sense and we can we don't disagree often <laughs> which <laughs> is which is really weird but even though the, the small amount of times we do disagree it's like oh i see your point we see each other's point of view and we're understanding both sides of the coin. So it's always a level-headed conversation and a very logical conversation, which I think is very, very hard to find whenever you're dealing with people that are so, so tied to to money, yeah. right? Yeah. We look at it as, oh, if we lose X amount of dollars on this business deal, then it's like, we'll make it up down the road somewhere, somehow. But at least we learned something and that was a lesson learned. Yeah. Yeah,
1: because I think so much of what you're doing is providing that experience, whether it's when people come to stay at one of your hotels Mm -hmm. or when people walk into a Crumble Cookies, you're providing that experience, and it's just cool because I think about experiences in the sense of not only just staying places, eating things, Mm -hmm. but also... Experiencing that either live sports or or live entertainment, comedy club, music festival, and I just know from experience with you, that is also something that you have appreciation for. Absolutely. And going back to that, dude, that London Music Festival, Wireless Ah, Festival 2015. Best one yet. I, people need to look at this lineup because from that point on, anytime I ever look at a lineup, I judge yeah. it based on how good it is compared un, to un- that
2: wireless. One. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was star studded. I mean, you wouldn't even think. I mean, I don't know if you have the, the little doggy tags anywhere. Yes, I can find it. I can pull uh, it up. So, I mean, there there were big names like Drake, Nicki Minaj, Avicii, Kendrick Rest Lamar. Yeah, Kendrick Lamar. Um, a little tiny in in small letters was Travis Scott. <laughs> like, the tiniest letters, Travis yeah, Scott. Way at the bottom. Yeah. Major Laser was absolutely going bananas in all over Europe. Dude, g G Yeah, g Easy. Yeah. I love g Easy. I, I don't I love give some, a fuck who yeah, <laughs> knows. <laughs> I, I love me some g Easy as well. But, I mean, don't get me wrong, but, like, I love McConan. He was big back there, you know? Tuesday was uh, popping yep, on. on a Tuesday. That's right. Um, Party Next Door. P&D was there. Yeah. Dude, reps up. <sighs>
1: we saw... Uh, Mary J. Blige I think we saw her. She was there
2: Childish Gambino And th- Before he got Big Yeah I mean it's, It was just Stupid Around of people that was there.
1: Around our senior year We both graduated 2015 uh, Because of the internet I think was out mm-hmm. And That was when I was Starting to I, Dude I love Childish Gambino Yeah he's great Awesome artist ASAP Rocky was there Yep Joey Badass Yep Duke Dumont, Ah oh, man. Uh so Crepton Conan. Do you remember Yes? <laughs> yes.
2: Crept and Conan. Don't was waste my time. No, 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 dude, The Brits went fucking crazy. And we're <laughs> and, and and he like we just me and you, just two Yanks, were like, who are these two guys just going nuts on stage? And I, I kid you not, even to this day I I me some Crepton Conan. Dude. That song is lit. Yeah. And uh have you seen the movie
1: Creed, the new one that yeah. they've done? Yeah. Yeah. When he comes out, one of those one of those fighters comes
2: out to that song. I was like, Oh yes! my god, I know that. <laughs> Wireless. Yeah. Dude, Krafton Conan was I remember sending it to, to my friend and he was just like, Oh yeah, I've heard of these guys. I was like, These guys are going nuts over here. Dude. It was we, awesome. We were there at an interesting
1: time, too. You mentioned that we were the Yanks. We were there July 4th weekend, yeah. so the Brits that we met thought it was just the coolest thing ever that they could party on July 4th with us. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> Here we are, just two Yanks in, in the middle of the UK. Like, Finsbury we, Park. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, the my fondest memory was Drake coming out to Legend. Yeah. And then when the beat dropped, you had just a big British flag in the background, and I just, I'm like... I'm American to the core, but that's badass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have that video that was like
1: at the very beginning of my festival days. Yeah. So I'm taking a lot of video. Yeah, instead. absolutely. Now it's almost like I I might take one or two. You know, I'll definitely like get some content for mm-hmm. the gram. You know, I mean, of yeah. course, you know. But but like now I'm I'm so much more just like in enjoying. The moment, yeah, enjoying you're enjoying it. it,
2: and and that's how I am. You know, especially after college, I'm like, you know what? I go to these concerts. I go to these restaurants. Everyone's like, oh, the, the camera's got to eat first. I'm like, no, I'm just going to dig in. Because, like, as long as I can experience it and I'm, then I can tell people about it, I, I could care. Like, I'm If you look on my Instagram right now, I probably haven't posted since, like, last year. <laughs> um, I barely post on Facebook. I really just use it as a mechanism to just wish people happy birthday. Sure. Um, and keep up with other people's birthdays and so on and so forth. But uh, But, I mean, I'm just like, you know what? I'm to the point where I just wanna enjoy it for me myself, right? Yeah. Like I I'm going I'm going to enjoy the little things. And Jess, my wife, will will be like, I'm on my phone a lot. Uh and, and it's probably true, but at the same time, like when it comes to these events and stuff like that, I'm I rarely pull out my phone to take pictures or take videos or take a picture of my food and stuff like that. It's just we're jaded now. Yeah, Nothing's man. ever gonna beat in London, you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's just you know, I, I wanna take the time to just enjoy what I'm doing now.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was cool. That was a once in a lifetime experience cuz <clears throat> I was studying abroad in Dublin, you were in Barcelona and Barcelona, yeah. Just realized that we were both outside of the US and within train distance to get to London or maybe I think I had to fly from from Ireland into Irv. I don't fucking, I'm, obviously geography is my worst
2: thing in the world. Like on Trivia Crack, it is like I'm shooting like 25%. It's so fucking bad. No, I mean, for for everyone listening, if you, if you have the opportunity to study abroad, I would 100% do it. I think that for me was a time period where I really learned the most about myself. Being just dropped into a foreign country, not knowing anybody, forcing myself to get by and i mean a part of the internship or i mean a a part of the study abroad program was like i had an internship as well Mm -hmm. so working there living there and just talking to locals talking to strangers was just an eye-opening experience and i and i think that's where i learned circling back to what i said earlier it's like that's where i learned where I, i i want to be uncomfortable now like i want to be i never want to be complacent or content like i want to just keep keep my mind going and keep me in, in different positions uh to where in positions that i've never been before right mm-hmm. that trip alone is probably one of the few times where it's like a paradigm shift happened for me and it just all came into perspective and it kind of laid the foundation as to how i wanted to go about being me going forward yeah um, i was doing things that i'd never thought you know, I would go walk to a park and read a book. Like I would going back to like my high school days or even the semester before I would well, I would have never done that ever. I was reading more. I was doing things that I would never have done just because I didn't know what else to do. You know, it was just me and my classmates and stuff. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's not like I knew who they were. Yeah. Definitely an eye-opening experience. And I would 100% recommend it. Even if you're scared to do it, take the leap of faith dive in go for it absolutely yeah let's
1: wrap up with give me your
2: realest talk
1: give me any advice you think every entrepreneur should know give me the things that you believe to be most true about business or people or life or family or marriage or anything man give me some real talk to wrap up with
2: never lose sight of the most important asset in any business and that's your people whether it's your business partners, whether it's investors, whether it's the relationship you have with the, your bankers, your, your financial institutions, your employees, your management staff, all the way down to your busboy. That alone, the people in and around your business is your most important asset. If something happens, for example, at Crumble, the mixer goes down, the oven catches on fire, God forbid. Whatever happens, all of those things are replaceable. Trust me when I say it is hard to replace people, especially nowadays. Do not be afraid to place a bigger emphasis on your people. And I've learned that. I'm starting to believe in that more so more recently than before. Just because the amount of growth that we've been able to accomplish in just two years with the pandemic is all because of the people that we have. And I know there's only one of me, and I, I, I can't be in eight different places all at once, but I try to put a special emphasis on people that I'm surrounded by. Because at the end of the day, my name might be on the company, paperwork and stuff like that, and I'm, I'm, I might be the face of the company, but at the same time, like it's a team effort. It's not just me. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you're not alone, man. Put an emphasis on people, and don't be afraid to reach out for help, ask questions, learn something. That's my take. Is treat people right and they'll treat you right.
1: Perfect, love it. Amit Patel, thank you so much for coming over and sharing your story, man. Yeah, real talk. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) awesome. All right, guys, that is a wrap. That is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this episode half as much as we enjoyed playing it for you because we had a ball. And. Thank you again to everybody that has contributed to the growth of this show. 100th episode special. You know, I don't know the statistic, but I know that uh, if you look on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it is a graveyard filled with the number of podcasts that only reached four or five episodes or maybe did seven but then quit. They just couldn't do it anymore. They couldn't think of what to say. They, they I, I, You know, I don't know. I don't really have that problem because here we are 100 episodes later, And have been doing this now for several years, not only in podcasting, but also. Hosting sports radio and just being in the entertainment business—that's what I see myself as: as an entertainer and a storyteller, and somebody that asks good questions, tough questions, and elevates other people to tell their stories. You know, I can't necessarily relate to being the son of immigrant parents. I—I I can only relate to people through my own experiences and what I learned through others sharing their experiences to me. Right. And so to get to continue to dig deep on some of the stuff that I'm interested to learn more about, you know, and just be generally aware of, and not ignorant, but just listen to people, man, It's that's what this is about. It's about real stories and real people and real talk and elevating those people and bringing visibility to things that might be out of the realm of the things that are visible to me, if that makes sense. And. It's just, I, I'm just, man, I'm <laughs> 100 episodes, man. What a fucking feat. And that's the thing is, like, this is still 100 episodes in. Like, think how much farther we have to go. Think about when we hit our 200th episode, or our 500th episode, or we're 10 years into this. Who knows where it's going to lead? But I know that it's going to be one hell of a ride and one hell of a story. So my friends, I hope that you'll continue to ride with me and see where it all goes. Come back next week. I've got a fucking banger of an episode dropping. Brad Steinfeld, one of the coolest cats that I've ever met in my life. He is somebody that left his parents' house when he was 16 years old, moved out west, started rock climbing, started a business, and started a family and just is like somebody that I aspire to become and like a story that I aspire other people to want to ask me about. Like, hey, how did you do it, you know? This is a guy with a wealth of knowledge and experience in sales and in life and i am absolutely thrilled to be putting that episode out next week so i hope that you'll continue to come back and hashtag i ride with bitty t all right my friends that's it i'll see you next week i am ben tompkins that is real talk